Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Inspire Churches podcast. We're a church in Union City that loves Jesus. Our hope is that you'd be inspired to grow in God's word as reflected in loving Christ more and more every day. So wherever you are, be a light. To find more teachings or donate to the ministry, visit us at inspirechurches.com. My name's Roger. I'm one of the pastors here, uh, and I'm just so glad that you have decided to join us this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, help uh, just illuminate its truth to us, God. Help us, Heavenly Father, to get closer to you, Lord God, and, and uh, help us, Lord God, to be able to take these truths, Lord God, and, and not just sit back, Lord God, and say, that was interesting, or that made me feel good, Lord, but, but Lord, help us to actually apply them to our lives, Lord God, and, and let it be for your glory and for your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. There was this uh, guy who wanted to make some extra money um, because he wanted to buy himself uh, a can of Coke. And so uh, he, there was another gentleman sitting across from him, and he said, excuse me, sir. And he's like, I, I, I just want to know if you want to go in for a little bet, a little bet. And uh, the guy said, well, okay, well, what kind of bet? He says, well, this is what we're going to do. He says, I'm going to ask myself a question, and if I get the answer right, then you're going to give me $5. The guy kind of looked at him and he said, and, and, then, and then you're going to ask yourself a question. And if you get it right, then I'm going to give you $5. And then we're just going to keep going back and forth until one of us asks ourselves a question that we can't answer. So the guy was like, that's a little strange. He says, so let me get this straight. I'm going to ask myself a question. If I get the answer right, you give me $5. You're going to ask yourself a question. If you get the answer right, I give you $5. And we keep going back and forth until one of us asks ourselves a question that we cannot answer. Is that correct? He's like, yeah, that's exactly what we do. So the guy says, okay, well, since you're the one that proposed this first, why don't you go ahead and start? He said, okay, I will. Here is the question to myself. He says, how can a rabbit dig a hole deep into the ground without throwing dirt onto the outside. How can a rabbit dig a hole deep into the ground without throwing dirt on the outside? And he said, and my answer is this, the rabbit starts digging from the inside. The other man looked at him and said, how's that possible? He said, I don't know, that's your question. <laughs> what we do to make some money and I think oftentimes that's what we feel like we kind of have to do to get ahead in this world. Somehow we have to convince somebody, we have to manipulate, we have to show something of some way because money is very important. Money is very important. So if you have not guessed it, the last rhythm of this series is generosity. Generosity. Wow. God got real quiet real quick. <laughs> Now, listen, if you're here and you're like, man, this is my first time visiting, and the first sermon I hear from Inspire Church is about money, and I get it, I understand, because oftentimes, many people have been tricked, manipulated by bad giving theology, and because of that, many people in our generation and in our culture think that that is what church is all about. Because you have, all you continue to hear is the health and wealth gospel. Some preacher misguiding you and misleading you and, and probably because they themselves are misguided and misleaded, but some sort of person that's telling you, hey, if you give this certain amount, then somehow you have now twisted God's arm. You've put him in a corner somehow. You've bound him contractually to, 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 to now he owes you a certain lifestyle, or now he owes you a blessing, or now he owes you an answer to prayer because you gave a certain amount, something of that nature, right? Health and wealth gospel. And so because of that, you've come to believe that, hey, this is the only thing that churches really want. But what we need to do is ask ourselves, what does the Bible actually say about money and generosity, about money and generosity, right? Because an unbiblical view of giving can lead to an unhealthy relationship to his church and most of all to Jesus Christ. 
But before we go there, the last time that Inspire Church had a message on gener generous giving was back before I was even here in 2019. In 2019. And Pastor Phil gave a list of markers that described most givers. And I love this list so much that I want to bring it back into your mind and see if you can identify where you are on this list. Sound good? Yeah. Okay, good. Two of you. All right. My goodness. <laughs> okay, here we go. Number one. First, first type of giver, he called them the guilted givers. Pastor Phil called them the guilted or the obligated givers. These are people who out of fear or obligation give, right? Because you heard a pastor once say something like, hey, Jesus died on the cross for you. He suffered for you. He gave his life for you. So the least you could do is give. The least you could do is give. And, and now you are motivated by guilt and by shame to give, by obligation. Maybe that's you. Number two, Pastor Phil talked about the frustrated giver. That, you, that, that I give, but, but I give frustrated. I give begrudgingly. I give not out of joy and not out of delight, but I give out of frustration. I don't give because I want to. I give because I have to. I don't give because I want to, but I give because I have to. Anybody like that yet? No? Okay, well, we'll see. There's still three more to go. Number three is this, the angry non-giver. The angry non-giver. Do you remember these? <laughs> right? The angry non How dare the church? How dare the pastor talk about money? Right? The angry giver says, listen, I see right through this. This sounds more like manipulation than generosity. And if that's the case, I'm going to keep my money. I don't think God needs it anyway. And this particular angry non-giver is a result of unbiblical preaching that is taught incorrectly. Right? They've taken the verses in Malachi and they've taken the verses that says, listen, if, that, that, that God says you can test me in this way and if you give, then I'll open the windows of heaven and pour down such a blessing that you cannot contain it. And, and they take those and they take it out of context and, and twist it. I even remember hearing a, a sermon on, uh, the, <laughs> on the widow there that, that was uh, her and her son and, and they had nothing else left but this little tiny cake to eat. And so they said, we're just going to eat this and we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. We're just going to eat it and die. And, and the man of God in scripture says, you know, give me the, give me the cake. And, and so she does. And, and the Lord produces a miracle. And I heard a preacher once say, see, you can either give it and live or keep it and die. The angry non-giver. Number four, the fearful or anxiety filled non-giver. You are fearful that somehow you've missed your blessing and now you are cursed. You've robbed God and you're very fearful about your non-giving. For whatever reason, you have not given, but, not, but you're fearful about it. You have anxiety about it. Even though you kind of hear different things, that there's still something in you that somehow maybe you have missed it. You've missed it. And number five just the good old classic disobedient, slightly rebellious non-giver, right? Slightly, slightly rebellious, disobedient, like I don't get paid enough to give. I serve at the church, so that's enough, right? Yeah. And I just want you to know that none of these categories of givers have a healthy view of what the Bible actually says about generosity. None of them do. Some of you are fearful that somehow because you didn't give, that somehow God is now, you're, you're now cursed. But you need to know that even up to this point, if you have not given a cent to the church, you are still loved and accepted through the blood of Jesus Christ. You need to know that. And then Pastor Phil went on to say this, which is great. He says this, he says, 
This is important because not only do our spending habits reveal something about our spiritual health, but our giving habits do too. But our giving habits do too. One of the many things that Jesus does is he sort of turns our vision of the good life on its head, right? right? right. I mean, maybe you remember a while ago, I shared a story about how we went to the beach with my wife and my girls and, and my middle daughter, Adeline, she sat back on the beach chair and she opened up a can of Sprite and she drunk it and she said, ah, she goes, dad, this is the good life. And all of us have some sort of vision in our head of what the good life is. But Jesus comes in and he kind of turns that vision around. And he says this, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Remember that? More blessed to give than it is to receive. That Greek word literally means happy. Well, you know, so it's, there is more happiness in giving than in receiving. Now, Not that we need any kind of research to validate our trust in what Jesus says. But what's interesting is sociologists Smith and Davison in their book, The Paradox of Generosity, summarized the data that they collected and basically concluded that the generous people, that people who are generous are happier, healthier, they live longer, they have lower levels of oppression and anxiety, They're more interested in personal growth and in community around them. They have better long-term relationships. In fact, here's a quote. They say this, people rightly say that money cannot buy happiness, but money and happiness are still related in a curious way. This can be the result not of spending money, but rather giving money away to others. So the data examined here shows that it's not simply a nice idea, but a social scientific fact. The empirical evidence is that it turns out that the Western formula for more money equals more happiness is simply not true. So it comes to no surprise that Jesus actually has a lot to say about money. In fact, scholars estimate that 25% of Jesus' teaching that we have documented in the Bible has to do with money at some level. Can you imagine if every fourth sermon here at Inspire had to do with money at some level? Y'all probably like, we're finding another church, right? But here's what's most fascinating about that is it's not like Jesus is a rabbi of a congregation, right? It's not like he's trying to get an annual budget or figure out how he's going to pay his associate pastor, right? He's not raising money for a building project of the temple, right? Or, or anything like that. He's, the reason he talks about money so much is because he's interested in the human heart. Because the Bible says where your treasure is, your heart is also. He's interested in the human heart, in freedom, love, and life with God to abide in him. So for Jesus, money is far more than just money, but it's about the heart. So what we're going to do is we are going to camp out in Luke chapter 11. Now, there's going to be some other passages, but mainly Luke chapter 11 this morning. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 33, it says this, and this is Jesus talking, and and he says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it can be hidden, like under a bowl, because back then to light lamps was expensive. You don't just do it, you know, Um, and so they didn't just do it to waste, right, But, but they had it for a purpose. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in may see the light. Now, this is a metaphor, and it's a very familiar metaphor of Jesus. You might recognize it because he also uses it at the beginning of his Sermon of the Mount. So he uses it more than once. He then goes on to explain the metaphor in verse 34. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when you are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. Now, in our, you know, kind of modern era, this may sound a little cryptic, right? Like, what are you even talking about? But to first century Jews, this was a euphemism, or or in other words, a figure of speech. And if you have the NIV, you'll notice that there's a little footnote after the word healthy. Or if you look down at the bottom of your Bible, the Greek word there for healthy, what does it imply? You'll see there, it says generous, generous. And same thing for unhealthy. The footnote for unhealthy is implies stingy. 
So when he talks about, hey, if you're going to have a healthy eye, that means you're, you're generous. And if you're going to have an unhealthy eye, that means you're stingy. It was a figure of speech. It was a way of talking about two different ways to see the world. Two views of, uh, uh, of what one may call reality, but only one is actually true. Dallas, theologian Dallas Willard titled these two ways, uh, abundance mentality and scarcity mentality. Two different ways in life to kind of look at generosity and money. He says, if you have an abundance mentality, then you look with your eye and you see a world that where, where God is generous. There's plenty for everybody. You see, God, God is a generous host and we live and we live at his hospitality. All of life is a gift. Everything in your life, none of it is a right. It is a gift. And as a result, you live with gratitude for God and generosity towards other people, particularly those who are in need. You have a healthy eye, a healthy kind of way of viewing the world. But if you have a scarcity mentality, then what you do is you look at the world and you see a world of lack. The world is overpopulated and the future is bleak. There's not enough to go around. Human civilization is a fierce battle over scarce resources and you need to fight to make sure you get what's yours. It's all become about what you need and what your family needs and what you want to do and what you want to experience right now. Right? And you are blind to those in need because it's only your reality and your world that matters. So often instead of an abundance uh, and looking at life as a gift, you look at things that you don't have. And I want, and I want, and I want, and I want. And you're consumed in the end. And this is the kind of heart that, the, that, it, that when we have that kind of heart, it's, that's the kind of heart that first century Jews would say, that's an unhealthy heart. That's an unhealthy eye, good. you see. Good. It's an unhealthy way of filtering the world. So then Jesus goes on to say, look at verse 35, see to it then that the light within you is not darkness, right? In other words, the way that you see generosity, right? The way that you see money, the way you interact with it really matters because, when it, because what it does is it forms who you are. Verse 36, therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full as light when a lamp shines its light on you. So he goes back to the metaphor, right? In other words, what he's, what he's saying here is, listen, through a relationship with money, your relationship with understanding generosity, if you get that right, meaning if you understand that the gospel calls you and me to give radically, then we begin to see things differently. We begin to see things as they actually are. Now, that's a little bit conceptual, right? A little bit lofty maybe or abstract which is why Jesus goes on with his illustration. Verse 37, he says, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to come eat. And when he went in and reclined at the table, uh, the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not wash his hands before the meal. Now, a couple things I want to point out. First of all, this Pharisee was most likely wealthy or upper, upper middle class, right? But I'll tell you this, Jesus was never one to turn down a free meal. And I plan to follow him. Just, you know, throwing it out there. Anybody want, you know. Great example. And the Pharisee was surprised because Jesus didn't wash his hands first. Now, for anybody that's in the room that may be under 12, uh, let me just say this. This is not say, oh, see, mom and dad, Jesus didn't wash his hand before eating. I don't got to do it. That's not what this is talking about. See, in first century, in the first century, there was elaborate ceremonies for washing hands and all sorts of rules and regulations that just went into washing hands. The, the, the type of instrument that had to be used, the, even the angle that the water had to be poured in. There, I mean, there, there was just this meticulous regulation on the right way to wash hands, the kind of water that you could use. 
And it sounds weird, but basically what was happening was they were taking this sort of Pharisee culture as a whole and attempting it to, to, to put it on everybody. So they were taking these rules that were meant only for the Levites, only for the priests, when they were getting ready to prepare a sacrifice in the temple before the Lord. And what the Pharisee did is say, say well, we're going to take that and make everybody else also do that in their own homes. Okay? But... What you see is story after story, time after time, Jesus pays little to no attention to these traditions of his day. Many many of them, he just says that, that they're a heavy burden on top of the soul. He's not interested in which direction you pour the water. I'm just gonna wash my hands regular, right? He's much more interested in the heart. Verse 39, then the Lord said to him, now then you Pharisees, this is what Jesus replies. He says, well, you Pharisees clean the outside of a cup and a dish, but the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the ones who made the out, did not the one who made the outside also make the inside? But now as far as what is inside of you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Interesting. Pay attention to that really quick. He says, the inside is dirty, the outside is clean, and he uses this sort of cup as an illustration, this mug sort of as an illustration, and and, and he says, look, the outside is clean. In fact, I think we have a picture for you. And the inside is dirty, right? And and, and this is Jesus' word picture for people who are religious, who, who focus on the external, but make sure, you know, to make sure that they look right, to make sure that they do the right thing, to make sure that they tithe the right amount, right? Make sure we get the right percentage. You have all of the religious trims and trappings down at the, at the exterior, but in the inside, your heart is dirty. It's unclean. There's greed in there, Right? There's egocentricity in there. There's fear in there. There's all sorts of stuff in there that, that's not pretty. And look at, to, he says, okay, how do you get rid of all of this fear and, 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 and this, and this uh, uh, you know, over-religiosity and this spiritual elitism and, and anxiety? How do you get rid of all that? There's many way, things that Jesus could have said. He could have said, well, pray more or read your Bible more or attend more. But that's not what he says. He says, Be generous. Be generous. And if you're generous, then what's inside of you will begin to be clean. That's what he says. In other words, if you move towards generosity, both in practice and in heart posture, that simple act alone will do wonders to clean out the interior of our souls. Wow. Verse 42, woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint rue, and all kinds of garden herbs, but neglect justice and love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Now, this is the one time in the New Testament where this thing called the tenth or a tithe is mentioned, where a tithe is mentioned. And it's a verb, and that verb basically means 10%, 10%. And Jesus is referring back to Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30. He's referring back to the Torah where, where in the Torah it says, a tithe, give a tithe of everything from the land where you give, whether rain from the soil or fruit from the trees, it belongs to the Lord, it is holy. And what the Pharisees are doing is they're looking at that command that was in the Torah and they're taking it to the extreme. They're not just doing a regular tithe, but, but they're even making sure that their mint, which is a small little plant, or their rue, which is weeds, basically, that, that even that makes sure, oh, we got to make sure, we got to give that 10%, got to make sure, right? And they do it down to the minutia, this extreme, ultra-religious version of the Torah. And Jesus says, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're missing it. You're missing it. Jesus is pointing back to a poem from the prophet Micah that most of you will probably recognize. It says this, uh, Micah chapter 6, verse 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? 
Should I bring before him burnt offerings with calves a year old? You have to remember that calves and animals and, and stuff like that, that was, their, that was their money. That was their version of, of money, right? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with tens of thousands of olive oil, right? So that was their currency. And then he goes on, he says, uh, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That's what he's saying. He says, what does the Lord require of you? And then look at, look, look, at, look at what he says. He says, to act justly and love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. You see that? In other words, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're missing the whole point of giving. You're missing the whole point. Right? Well, you're sitting here trying to tithe to the umpteenth degree. You're missing God's heart for the poor, for justice, for compassion, right? For love. And then he says this line, he says, you should have practiced the latter. In other words, he, you, what, you, what you should have done was not get, get down to the right exact 10% and be like, oh, there, that's what I got to do, just that. No, Jesus is saying you should have been radically generous. Blowing that 10% out of the water. Wow. Radically generous. I knew I was going to get a lot of amens right there. <laughs> like, are you sure Jesus said that? Yeah. Right? He says, you miss it. Okay, well, wait a minute. What does all of this have to do with you and with me? Right? Dallas Willard when talking about what it means to transform using spiritual disciplines or what we here at Inspire are calling rhythms of life, he, he came up with an acronym called VIM, VIM, right? Which is vision, intention, and means. Vision, intention, and means. He says, if true transformation is going to happen, there's vision, intention, and means, Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at those three things really quick and see how Jesus addresses it exactly so, right? Because first what he says is you need vision in our head. What Dallas Willard said is that a new, you have to see a new way to be human. One that is a compelling vision that gets you to understand what it is that Jesus is asking. Then you need to make an intention. You need to settle that decision in your heart. And then after that, and this is where a lot of church culture goes wrong, we have great teaching and great aspirational messages, and we say, come on, everybody, let's do it. And everybody's like, yeah, we're going to do it. And then Monday comes, and we're like, oh, we don't even remember what it was about, right? right? Because we leave here thinking we're going to do it with some sort of willpower, yeah. <laughs> you, know? I'm just, you know? I'm just going to do it on my own somehow. But you need means to get, to, to make a, to get this idea, compelling vision, from, you, from your head to your body to muscle memory, you need means, right? If you want to run a half marathon, you need a coach. You need someone to work out with. You need to do this a few, to, a few days in your week. You, you have to run, right? You're going to have to create a means, or in other words, you're going to have to create space to run if you want to run a marathon. So the question is, how do I create space in my life to open up my heart to become who Jesus wants me to be? To abide in him. And so we're going to look at some of these three levels and, and how Jesus addresses this. And it's going to be really interesting, I think. So first, vision. Jesus talks about his view of the world. His vision. And so let me just give you just a few minutes of sort of an overview of the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, right? Right? And I just want to give you the short version of sort of what this generosity idea has to say in the Old Testament. Uh, and this short version that Jesus, you have to understand, this short version is one that Jesus would have heard while growing up. He would have been very familiar with this story. But also you have to remember that Jesus himself is God. And so the first thing is this. We're going to go back to Genesis 1. What's interesting about these rhythms, and Pastor Phil mentioned it last week, is that most of these rhythms keep drawing us back to Genesis. In fact, if you don't get anything out of these last few weeks, one thing is, is I'm sure you by now you'll know the creation story because we keep going back to it. 
But Genesis 1, the world is created by God as an act of generous, creative love. The verb gave is used over and over and over again. God gave, God gave, God gave, God gave, right? God gave water. God gave food. God gave. He gave. He gave. The image in Genesis is, oops, sorry. The image in Genesis is a world uh, where he is uh, being hospitable and he is being giving. And he has invited humanity to enjoy in that. But that moment was short-lived because you know Genesis chapter 3 that in, his gener- that, that, that in this generous environment comes a serpent with a whisper that God isn't who he claims to be. That he has an agenda that you need to take your life into your own hands because you can't really trust him. Right? And so you have to define what's good and what's evil, what's right and what's wrong. And tragically, they do it. They fall. And there's a telling line in Genesis 3 that we read, and it says that Eve took some of the fruit and ate it. The key word there is took. Took. Throughout all of Genesis up to this point, we've been reading God gave, God gave, God gave, but then she took. See, there's a, it's subtle. And most of the time, the worst kind of sin is subtle. But this key little word shows a shift in the human condition from a heart posture of receiving life as a gift and from a generous provider to taking life as a, as a scarce resource that we deserve. A shift from a grateful heart of trust a heart of, to, to, to a heart of greed. This is the issue in Genesis that's underneath all other issues of the human condition in one way or another. The shift from gratefully receiving to greedily taking. This is why money is 25% of what Jesus had to say. Because Jesus says there's a deeper issue here. There's a heart posture about the human condition. Then we move forward and we see in Genesis 12 where Abraham's called to start a new family line. And Jesus says, listen, I'm going to bless you so that way you can be a blessing. In other words, I'm going to be generous to you so you can then be generous to others. I want to do for you what I will eventually intend to do for all of humanity, right? And so after that happens, what's interesting is in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham then goes and he, he takes a tenth. He ties um, his money to this mysterious character named Melchizedek. Now, what's interesting is he's not commanded to give this tithe, Right? He's not told by God, you have to give this. But there is an impulse in his heart to give 10% of what he has to Melchizedek. Now, this later will be codified in the Torah. And most people don't realize this. There's there's actually multiple tithes. So there wasn't just this one time that the people of God would, would, would give 10% of what, they, of what they had. But there was multiple times that they would do that. And, and some of that would go to the priests in Jerusalem. Others would go to the Levites in their hometown and so on and so forth, right? But tithing then became written in the legal code of the nation to index their heart away from greed or fear that God won't provide. So I have to look out for me and my own. Now, a very long story short, basically, this is the Old Testament that says this. This is what God wanted the people to look like and be like, but those people didn't turn out that way. They didn't turn out that way. Instead, they became stingy. The very people that God set free from oppression became oppressors. The people that God called to to be light of the world uh, and to invite the nations into God's love became uh, uh, self-centered, even racist at times, which leads us to the doorstep of Jesus. Because when you see all this, you begin to think, well, wait a minute. How is he going to fix the human heart then? And that's why it comes as no surprise that the writers frame Jesus himself as an act of God's generosity. They talk about Jesus himself being an act of God being generous. In the classic verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. 
He gave. He gave his only son. There he is. God, the generous giver, gave. Generosity is a form of love. Or you could say that love is a form of generosity. And Jesus is the ultimate example of this. And for Jesus, he sees God's generosity, his father's generosity. He sees his father's provision and care. He sees what really matters, the kind of people that we need to become, that he wants a relationship with, that we need to develop into. And he sees the world. And in his view, in his worldview, we can live without fear. According to Jesus' worldview, we can have a life without anxiety. We can trust God. We can release the need for control and we can share with those that are in need. With our friends and even our enemies. Vision. Eye interior, next interior. Jesus is talking about the interior architecture of our hearts. One person said it this way, that if we get our attitude towards money straight, it will, help it, it will help straighten everything else out as well. That's exactly what Jesus says in Luke 11. Love and generosity are two sides of the same coin. Different ways of saying the same thing. This means becoming a person of love means becoming a person who is generous, radically generous with their money. And then the third point was means. So vision, right? Interior means. Notice that Jesus doesn't just say that you should give a tithe. I want you to notice that. Jesus doesn't say, we all should give tithes. Where does Jesus say that? He doesn't. What he does say is we should give more than that. And not less. And not in a heavy burden kind of a way, but in a heart posture kind of a way. With all the rhythms that we've been going through these last few weeks, it's easy to lose sight of the why behind each one. Whether we talk about Sabbath or the importance of community and coming together, whether we talk about fasting, whatever fasting may look like, whatever your rule of life may look like, it's easy to forget, wait a minute, why am I doing all this again? Right? And we need to come back to the truth that these rhythms are just means to an end. Right. Right? The end is not... These rhythms. In other words, the end is not go to church. The end is not, you know, be generous. The end is not pray. That's not the end. Those are means to the end. The end is to love God and love people, to find freedom and be the people that God has called us to be. And so these rhythms help index our heart. So what does it mean for us today? Well, as I was studying to, uh, to prepare for this message and I was reading a lot of articles and listening to a lot of podcasts and, and reading a lot of commentators, I have to tell you that the one that just kept coming back over and over because it was done so well was from the sermon that Pastor Phil preached back in 2019. In fact, I was tempted to just be like, here, listen to this. You know, I'll just walk off the stage and we can all just listen because it was so good. And so... I want to bring this back up to our memory. According to scripture, when it comes to tithing, we are no longer commanded by the law, but we are compelled by love. We are no longer commanded by the law, but we are compelled by love. Now, how could Pastor Phil make that statement? Well, because according to scripture, we no longer primarily relate to God through a Mosaic covenant. Look at Romans chapter seven, says this. So my brothers and sisters, you also died, look at that, to the law, through the body of Christ, that you may belong to one another to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. But now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. In other words, not through Moses, but through a Messiah, right? Not through a code, but through Christ. We have a new way of understanding and relating to Jesus Christ. In other words, we are not legally bound to pay 10%. We are not legally bound to pay this tithe, but rather 
We are free in Jesus' name. Free to do what? Free to do what? Well, look at this, Galatians 2. Know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Look at this, verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I may live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live in the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could gain through the law, Christ died for nothing. When Jesus was approached and asked out of all of the laws, which were over 600, he was asked, which ones are the most important? And Jesus said this, out of all of those, here it is, ready? Love God and love others. That's what he said. Love God and love others. See, you are now free. Free to do what? Free to be radically generous. Because our generosity is no longer motivated by law, but now it's motivated by love. So the question changes. The question changes from what do I have to give to what do I want to give? The attitude changes. Before you would either, you would either produce sort of self-righteousness or spiritual elitism, this attitude of like, well, I know I give this much. I wonder how much this person gives. And somehow you're closer to God or you're better, right? Because you didn't miss a Sunday of giving in your offering envelope. Or you're frustrated and worried because you, you have this mentality. But now that you are free in Jesus, now that I am free in Jesus, I can give joyfully and cheerfully because it's not under the banner of I have to, but I want to. Because I understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he was generous. I too can be generous. Acts chapter four says this, all of the believers were in one heart and mind. This was the early church. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Huh. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Oh, that's my car. Not back then they didn't say that. Oh yeah, you want to come over to my house? No, this is our house. Oh, you want to sit in my chair? No, this is our chair. See that? They didn't claim it was their own. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. All they did was preach the gospel. And God's grace was so powerfully worked in all of them that, they were, that there was not a needy person among them. Not a single needy person among them. This is why here at Inspire, we created something called the Benevolence Fund. And we have it there for those here that are in need and say, hey, listen, you know, something's happened or, or I'm just in need, a certain situation came about or, or whatever it is and, and I'm got behind on my rent or, or I'm not sure I'm gonna pay this electricity bill or whatever the situation is. We have a fund because, be, for, for, for why? Because we don't want anybody here to be in need. See? No one was in need of money. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned and he brought the money. Notice he didn't bring a tenth. He didn't bring a tithe. What? He radically was generous, Right? And he brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Wow. 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 As I get ready to close, just a few things here. Pastor Phil had made three observations from this text a few years ago when it came to giving and being radically generous. Number one, he pointed out that the apostles did not command them to give. See that? It's not like the apostles was preaching, hey, you have to do this. That's not what they were doing. They were just preaching the love of God, right? 
This wasn't, this wasn't socialism, right? Where somebody was forced. No, they were compelled by love, by the love of others. The apostles, number two, the apostles did not command them, but the grace of God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ compelled them. With guilt gone and grace applied, giving no longer becomes a burden, but it becomes a delight. Wow. I'm excited to give because now I know that my giving is a form of worship, that my giving, I'm doing it out of delight. I'm doing it out of an abundant heart because I trust God. I know that the world looks like, I see the stock market, I see what's happening over here and, and what's going on and all the political stuff that happens and, and I see, but, but you know what, through it all, I trust the Lord. I trust God. Number three, the goal isn't shame. Notice that in this text, the goal isn't shame. If you've fallen short of living a generous life, you are still fully loved and fully accepted by the Father through Jesus Christ. But here's the question. What does a living a life of generosity look like understanding the gospel? Knowing the gospel, what does a generous life look like? Well, it looks different for different people. For Barnabas, who was obviously wealthy, he, he, he sold his land and he gave it to the apostles for the work of God. But for the widow who was poor and had little to nothing, she gave everything she had. Now, if you would have compared dollars and cents, if you would have looked at the zeros that were written at the end of the check, then you would have thought, oh, this person, and we do that, don't we? We do that. We th somehow we, you know, Sister Watermelon comes in and she got the new car and she got the best house and she got, and we'd be like, ooh, the Lord just bless her. She must be faithful. She just must be a woman of God because look how the Lord, but then Brother Cantaloupe comes in and he had to catch the city bus and he's been wearing the same suit for the past two years and, and we must say, oh my goodness, something's wrong with him. Right. We do that. Right. My friend, it's not about the amount. It's about the heart posture. Right. That's good. That's good. It's not about the amount. It's about the heart posture. Someone could come up here and, re and throw a, a, a half a million dollar check but with the wrong heart posture. Someone else could come up here and give $2 with the right heart posture. And there will be a difference. It's not about the amount. It's about the posture of your heart. You see? It's always about the heart. It's always about, am I trusting God or am I needing control? Is my life just about me and my circle or do I see that there's other people in this world too? That's the difference. So what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? What's some next steps? Well, we're gonna give space to be more generous. You might say, you know what? I, I, I've been generous and praise the Lord for that. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you. I mean that sincerely. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of like my wife and I who, yeah, we've given, but we feel the Lord challenging us to look at our finances and ask, okay, what does it mean to be radically generous? What, is it, what does it mean to be radically generous? And I just want to know, what does it mean for you to look at your life, to look at what the, the resources that the Lord has given you, and ask yourself, what does it look like to be radically generous? Here at Inspire, we've been able to give a, have an incredible opportunity where we've been given um, ability to have what's called a matching grant. Um, we form these teams called city teams and what the city teams do, do is they partner with, uh, last year it was with Cyril's Elementary. And through, through your generosity, we were able to actually adopt several families and give them food, laundry detergent, toilet paper, groceries, pray with them. And then not just with them, but even the staff there at the school that would participate. 
because the team would do a little devotion and, and so the principal was included and some others there as well. And we've been able to show the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, so much so that the school has asked if we could do it again. And I believe the Lord is also opening other doors for us to be able to go out into the city to touch those that are in need. And so what we've been given is this matching grant of, hey, if we can raise $25,000, then the Stratum Foundation says, we'll give you another $25,000. So we have an opportunity to have $50,000. Wow. Now, to some of you, that might not sound like a lot of money. To others of you, that sounds like a lot of money. And I can say this, that we are excited for what the Lord wants to do and how we're going to impact Union City for his gospel and for his glory. And so if you want to give towards that, maybe you've already given and maybe the Lord is stirring something in you to, to, to give again, but there's a QR code there on the top and you can take your phone out and you can scan that. But also we're going to have our ushers come forward and we're going to get ready to receive offering and and there's all, you can also uh, just give with your uh, normally, which is you can text to give. You could do it through the app. But I, I want you to hear my heart. And, you know, how do you say this without it sounding, you know, um, without it sounding like there's a hidden agenda? I, I don't know, except for just, I hope you're praying to the Lord and being open to what the Lord has for you. And maybe you're here today and you're one of those people that are in need. Would you reach out to us and just email us? We would, we would love to come alongside you. That's what we're here for. But I believe that the Lord is calling us to be more radical in our generous giving. I know he's calling my wife and I to do that. And this is a part of the rhythms of what it is that God is calling us to be. Because it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. So we're going to pray, and then we're going to stand up, and we're going to respond in worship and respond in giving. Why don't you stand to your feet now? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much. I thank you for all that you do, Lord. I thank you, God, because you are generous, Heavenly Father. I thank you, Lord, because we don't look at life, Lord God, as scarce, but God, we look at it as a gift, not as a right, Heavenly Father, but as a gift. And Lord, I thank you, Heavenly Father, because in this moment, I pray that we will be so filled with your love that right now we will not be uh, guilted, shamed into. We, we, we know that we are not commanded by law that we will not be, feel any condemnation, but God, that rather we will be compelled by love. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.